I was sharing with some of you before church that the Lord provided for Karen and I to go to England this week. Not Wales, but England. Um, on holiday, and I, I think it may be the best vacation we've ever had. We got to do a nice cross-section of England, not Wales. Um, we, got to, <laughs> we got to spend a couple of nights in London, which was awesome. We went up to Lake District in the north. It was beautiful. We went to Birmingham. And then ultimately we ended up in Oxford. We spent a total of nine days in England and we didn't pay for a hotel once. It was hard for, to even get to pay for a meal. And sometimes we couldn't even pay for our own entertainment. We, uh, it was like we were the guest of honor in England. It was like someone had issued an edict that said, Take care of Jim and Karen while they're visiting here. Oh, I guess someone did. We were continually overwhelmed with love and kindness and generosity from some former members of the International Church of Milan. Some of you will remember Paul and Sarah Kahn. They entertained us in London. Becky Webster and her family up in the Lake District. Becky Elliott, uh, who just recently left and repatriated from Birmingham. And then ultimately Alex and Jane Banfield, uh, Banfield Hicks in Oxford. Sam, we even got punted. You know what that means, right? Who knows what it means to get punted? Tyler knows. You know what a punt is? A punt is a long... That's right, Laura. It is a kick. But it's also a long, narrow boat in England that you have a, an attractive young man stand at the back of and pull you around. And we were uh, pulled around. We were punted by a young Oxford scholar, Alex Banfield Hicks. And the whole time I was in England, particularly when I was sitting there in that beautiful, warm, breezy afternoon being punted by Alex, I just kept hearing the words of Jesus in my head from Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. Truly I say to you, the Master says, there is no one who has ever left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but he, but that he will receive a hundred times as much. Now, in this present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. Not to mention a good punting and an ample supply of sticky toffee pudding. If you don't know what sticky toffee pudding is, I'll tell you about it after the service. It's the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. We had a lot of that. Beloved, Mark 10, 29, 30 is true. England was ours. England was ours. Our Father simply gave it to us through the hands of His people. He gave us houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. We experienced Mark chapter 10. We lacked no good thing. England was ours. Some of you know it. Some of you have not yet come to really believe it. Luke chapter 12 verse 32. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom of God. In other words, the Father has chosen to give you everything. 
everything in time and everything in eternity. If you really believe Luke 12:32, obedience to Jesus is quite a wonderful trip. Sometimes people will say to Karen and I, wow, you really sacrificed to move to Italy and uh, do international ministry here in Milan. And of course I know what they say and I don't want to make little of what they say. Of course they mean that you've sacrificed proximity to your home, proximity to your family, proximity to your friends. I know that's what they're saying. And you've, you've forfeited the stability and, and, uh, and the comfort of, of the jobs that you walked away from. I know it's what they mean and I get what they're saying. But may I give personal testimony. We've never sacrificed anything for Christ that has not come back to us a hundredfold. May I just give personal testimony. Yes, we left some dear, precious people in Little Rock. And we miss them ferociously. But we have... Dear, precious people in every corner of the world now who love us and who open their homes to us and gladly are our mothers and our fathers and our brothers and our sisters. Beloved, England was ours, but it was only a microscopic slice of what is ours. Everything is ours. Every good thing is ours. In the kingdom of God. We have indeed received a hundred times as much. Even in this present age. If you read very many missionary biographies. Or other biographies of great Christians. You will be aware that this is a common confession. I've never really ultimately sacrificed anything for Jesus. It's always come back to me a hundred fold. We are always the beneficiaries of His presence and His loving kindness. You cannot out-sacrifice Christ. You cannot out-give Christ. It is a biblical truth. And Karen and I have had the great privilege to experience it. Of course, we understand as Bible believers that the bulk of God's promises are fulfilled in eternity. We understand that. We're not prosperity gospel preachers. We don't name it and claim it. We, we, we receive what God sends to us in His providence and we, we praise Him for it. We know that the bulk of His promises are forever. They're for eternity. But Jesus says, I've begun to overflow my goodness and my blessing to my people right now. And I know I could get many testimonies from you that that is the fact. And so, since Mark 10 was in my head all last week, I have to preach Mark chapter 10. I hope you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 10. And if we're going to legitimately consider and understand these incredible promises in verses 29 and 30, we have to get the context. You have to get the context. Always. Get the context. By the way, the Holy Spirit has recorded this account in three Gospels. Matthew chapter 19, Luke chapter 18, and in our text tonight. Obviously, God has something to say to His people, and He wants us to hear it. Oh, and He wants us to act on it, beloved. God is serious with His Word to us tonight. And looking at Mark 10, 29, 30, it seems best and wise to begin at verse 13. 
Verse 13 of Mark chapter 10. And when they were bringing children to the Lord so that He might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. The disciples rebuked them, but when Jesus saw this, He was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to Me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter at all. And He took them and He blessed them in His arms, laying His hands upon them. You say, well, Jim, what's it got to do with verse 29 and verse 30? We'll see in just a minute. Verse 17. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now this guy is a hot prospect. No good evangelist worth his salt would let this guy get out of his grasp without closing the deal. He runs up to Jesus. He kneels before Jesus. He even asks the right question. How can I be saved? How can I have eternal life? How can I taste the kingdom of God? All these things are synonymous in this text. Salvation. The kingdom of God. These are synonymous terms. And eternal life in our text tonight. Your average pastor and your average church these days would probably simply tell the guy, hey, just believe in your, in your mind and, and, and make a profession of faith in Christ. Pray this prayer and I'll pronounce you a Christian today. Would have him baptized and probably on a committee before the month was out. That's my, that might be what happens in your average church these days back in the States anyway. But that's not how the master evangelist evangelizes. That's not how God incarnate evangelizes. He actually gets into the meat of the gospel with people. Why? Oh, what does it say? Verse 21, because He loves people, He gives them the whole gospel, not half of it. Or a tenth of it. He gives them the whole gospel. And this is what Jesus is going to do tonight. It's not some dumbed down sub-biblical gospel. Jesus shows this man what real Christianity looks like. And He shows us what it looks like. And I think the modern church would do well to emulate Christ in this form of evangelism. Hey, if you don't know how to evangelize, here it is, right here, Mark chapter 10. This is how you can evangelize. As I read through verses 18 to 21, I want you to, to, I want you to be attentive, I want you to hear, I want you to see if you can pick out the major elements of the gospel that Christ is putting in front of this man. Verse 18. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Verse 21, And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And he said to him, Hey, he didn't say pray this prayer. He said, here's the real gospel. You want, a, you want eternal life? Here's the real gospel. Jesus says, one more thing you lack. Go. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. Come. 
and follow me. Verse 18. Why does Jesus ask him about calling him good? What is Jesus saying with this question? What aspect of the gospel is Jesus putting in front of this man with this question? Simply this. Jesus is saying, do you realize who I am? This is effectively what Jesus is saying. Is that why you call me good? Do you realize I am your creator? Do you realize I am the Messiah? Do you realize I am, I am? This is what Jesus is saying to this young man. Jesus says, I am not merely a good teacher or a good prophet. There is only one being in the cosmos who is good. That is God alone. Do you understand this about me? This is what Jesus is saying to this young man. Verse 19 and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus brings up the law. Who ever brings up the law anymore? What evangelist? Have, how many, have you, when was the last time you heard an evangelist bring up the law? Nobody brings up the law anymore. It's the old covenant. Obviously, we have something to learn from Jesus or he doesn't know what he's doing. Which one do you think it is? He brings up the law to this young man. The law doesn't save, it condemns. That's right, the law condemns. Jesus says you are condemned by the law. It's exactly what Jesus is communicating to this young man or attempting to communicate. You know, I think it was, I think it was moody. You have to get a man lost before you can get him saved. This is the error of much of our evangelism today. People don't even realize they're lost. They don't even realize they need grace. They don't even realize they're a rebellious sinner against a beautiful and awesome and, and loving and compassionate God. We never tell them that part. Shame on us. Verse 20, this guy's clueless. Look, he says, I've done it all. Hey, I've done the law. Obviously, this man has no concept of the holiness, the the ultimate and pure holiness of God or the depth of his own depravity and sin. He obviously has no clue. He's like most people you meet today. He thinks he's pretty good. In fact, he's better than most. He's even religious. He knows the law and he seeks to keep it. And I'm sure he thinks his religion is impressing God. But if we read the Bible, what do we understand about religion? God hates man-made religion. It's a stench in his nostrils. He hates self-righteousness. He hates it. If we, if we just superficially read our Bibles, we understand that. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees. They were all prettied up in their religion. Jesus said, you are whitewashed tombs. Which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is what Jesus is showing this young man. Jesus is showing him that all of his religiosity, all his box checking, all his law keeping is not going to get him eternal life. Jesus is going to make sure he understands that. 
It might be possible for a man to outwardly keep the law, but Jesus is going to make sure this, this young man understands it's impossible to keep it inwardly. Beloved, the biblical gospel is an inward out thing. It's not an outward in thing. Does everybody understand that? It must flow out of our hearts from that regenerating work that only God can do in the heart. Biblical Christianity is not outside in, it's inside out. And this is what Jesus is going to teach this young man. For out of the heart comes every conceivable sin. Jesus made it clear in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not about externals. Jesus said, hate is murder and lust is adultery. This is the Word of God. Look at verse 21. We read it. Jesus drives home this point. One thing you lack, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then He says, follow Me. Is Jesus saying that we have to sell everything to become a Christian? Of course, that's not what He's saying. What is He doing? He's simply showing this young man's heart to him. Oh, you're a law keeper? Then let's keep it supremely. What is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Oh, what's the second one? That you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus just pushes it right into this young man's face. He said, hey, you're a law keeper, then love God supremely. Follow me. You're a law keeper, then love your neighbor supremely. Give it all away to them. He really challenges this young man on on law keeping, doesn't he? That's what Jesus is doing. Hey, you're a law keeper. You're justified by the law. Give it all away and come and go with me. This is what Jesus says to the guy. Verse 22, but at these words his face fell and he went away. Grieved, for he was one who owed much property. What happened? Why did this eager young prospect walk away grieved? Again, did Jesus make a mistake? Or is there something here for us to learn? Were you able to identify the elements of the gospel that Jesus presented to this young man? Verse 18, Jesus showed him God. Verse 19, Jesus showed him the law. Verse 21, Jesus showed this man his sin and called him to repent. Verse 21 again, Jesus revealed his absolute lordship in this man's life. Jesus says, hey, you want eternal life? Do what I say and follow me. Do what I say and follow me. And you guys know this. You guys that have been around for a while, you know that there's another gospel in in the church today, in the modern church today, that somehow you can call yourself a Christian but never actually obey Christ. Beloved, that is a lie. That is a lie. You cannot have Christ as Savior without submitting to Him as Lord. This is simply a biblical truth, although many people, in the, many, people many churches make a false dichotomy here. And I think it's a, a catastrophic error. So Jesus gives him the gospel. Yeah, it's not as catchy as God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but oh, it's the real gospel. I was thinking as I prepared this sermon, you know, to look an unbeliever in the eye and say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, that's just a lie. It's just simply a lie. What does 
What does God say about the unbeliever? Psalm 5, 7. God hates all who do iniquity. Verse, uh, Psalm, Psalm 7, 11. God is angry with the wicked every day. Romans 2, 5. The unbeliever is storing up wrath for the day of wrath. I am not loving that person by telling them a half-truth or even a lie. I need to communicate to them their true condition before God. Beloved, we need, to be, we need to have some integrity with the gospel. I pray that we would have integrity with the gospel. This is what I try to go through when anyone presents themselves for baptism. I, I really could just take them to Mark 10. Do you understand these things? Do you understand these things? And I won't reiterate them for the sake of time. This guy would have loved to have been a respected church member. You know, the pretend plastic church going lukewarm Monday through Saturday, make-believe Christian. He could do that, but he couldn't go with Jesus. You know, being a church member is not too difficult. Being a Christian is a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. I mean, this guy would have jumped at the chance to simply pray the prayer or memorize some church dogma or do a sacrament or two, but let's be honest. You can do all of those things and not love Jesus at all. You can do all those things and never deal with your own sin. Amen? What does verse 22 say? He went away grieved. Why? Because he was extremely rich, Luke tells us. He, was, he loved his money, his security, his stability, his comfort, his ease, the esteem that came with his riches, the prestige, the status, the power, the self-sufficiency it afforded him. He's like most of those who consider becoming a Christian. He wanted to, to follow Jesus, but he wanted to follow Jesus on his terms. Not on God's terms, but on my terms. Beloved, again, if we're superficial readers of the Bible, we understand you cannot come to Christ on your terms. You cannot come on your terms. You must come on His terms. Jesus is anything but unclear. In fact, He is uncomfortably blunt. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, If you love your family more than Me, if you are unwilling to take up your cross and follow Me, He says, You are unworthy of Me. He says, You cannot be My disciple. And again, some people make this false dichotomy between salvation and discipleship. This is a false dichotomy. What does Jesus say? Go ye therefore in all the world and make church members? What does He say? Go ye therefore in all the world and make what? Disciples. A true converted believer is a disciple. This is the Word of God. And many in, the, many in the modern church will try to make a dichotomy. Well, the demands of discipleship are not the demands of salvation. I understand they're trying to protect grace. We don't have to protect grace. Grace is clearly communicated. I don't have time to get off on that, but grace is clearly communicated in the Bible. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If a man is unwilling to do this, Jesus says, he cannot be my disciple. The rich man walked away, he loved his money more than God. I want to show you just quickly just a beautiful contrast. You remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was rich too. What was the first thing Zacchaeus said to Jesus? Master, I'm going to give half of everything I have. You see the difference here? You see the difference between true conversion? 
You see it? Out of joy. It's like those two guys in Matthew 13, the guy that found the treasure in the field and the guy that found the pearl of great price. It's like those two guys. From joy they sold everything that they might have that treasure. And who was the treasure? It was Jesus. The metaphor is Jesus. That's true conversion. <laughs> this guy went away grieved. He couldn't go with Jesus. Zacchaeus is a great contrast. A great contrast. Let me summarize verse 23 to 27 real quick. Jesus says, oh, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And the disciples were astonished. Who can be saved then? Why were they astonished? Because the teaching of that day was, if a man was rich, he had the favor of God. If a man was rich, he could give uh, uh, abundant alms out of his excess. And there was even a teaching among the Jews at this time. That through giving alms, you could somehow contribute to atonement. So they were, they were flabbergasted that Jesus said this about the rich. They were, as the text says, they were astonished. Verse 27, Jesus says, With men salvation is always impossible, but with God all things are possible. Of course, this highlights the biblical truth that salvation is a supernatural, sovereign miracle of God. The Bible clearly teaches that salvation is impossible for all men. Beloved, you can't get there. No one else can. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter. No man can get there apart from, as a young man said to me in England last week, apart from a sovereign work of grace in my heart, is what he said. Former atheist. It was a sovereign work of grace in my heart, he said. I couldn't do anything but smile and say, Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. And this is Jesus' preeminent point here. And of course we understand it. This hardness of man, it, it's exacerbated by, by wealth. It's exacerbated. Wealth just becomes another idol in the heart of man. And this guy was extremely rich and he could not fathom giving up that wealth. This is the, fa the, the foundational point here. It's not that you have to give everything away to become a Christian. It is that you would. If Jesus asked you to. That's the point. You not only would, you joyfully would. Jesus is showing us real Christianity. <laughs> you know, not the I go to church kind. It's good to go to church. I'm glad you go to church. But that can't be the sum and substance of your Christianity, beloved. It can't be the... In fact, it's only just a small part of your Christianity. The point is, it's a done deal in your heart. If Jesus says, sell it all and go, you'll do it. It's a done deal in your heart. You've already transacted that. You've transacted that in the past. And if He asks you to, 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 it doesn't matter. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. That's the point. Verse 28. Matthew gives a little more detail of Peter's comment here. Peter says, we've left everything for you. What will there be for us? It's a fair question. You know, some people criticize Peter, but it's a fair question. Effectively, Christ says, everything, everything is yours. Everything is yours. Jesus says, every good thing is yours. Jesus says, you can't really make a sacrifice for me because I'm going to reward your socks off. Jesus says, 
You can never really give me anything that I will not bless and multiply back to you a hundredfold. Jesus says, you've been adopted into the family of God and you have houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms in England and in every corner of the world. He says. Jesus says, your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. It's when, I, when I preach that text in Luke chapter 12, I always use uh, the Hubble telescope as my, my illustration. The Hubble telescope can see 11 billion times 6 trillion light years into space. It can't find the end of the universe. That's how big your inheritance is, beloved. That's how big the kingdom of God is. I think that's just the fringes of His ways. As some guy said, said in Job, I don't remember which one it was, Build that, I think. Jesus says, your Father's given you eternal life. God-sized life. Jesus says, every good thing in time and in eternity belongs to those who come after me. Oh, did anyone notice anything else in verse 30? What else is ours? Persecutions. Persecutions. Well, why would Jesus say that? Well, frankly, because it's true. <laughs> Jesus, you know, Jesus never marks, he never markets the gospel. He just says what it is. I love him for that. I love the word of God for that. It doesn't try to market the gospel, it just reveals the gospel. Um, Jesus says, if we genuinely walk with Him, we will discover we have a whole new spiritual family we didn't know about. I love what Becky Elliott calls it. She says, I love to be part of the little web of ICM Christians all over the world. And of course, I'm not just talking about ICM Christians. I'm talking about all true believers. They're our family. And yes, in genuinely walking with Jesus, we discover we have new spiritual enemies. Jesus says in John 15, if you go with me, the world's going to hate you. Jesus says, if if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you as well. It's what it means to be a Christian. Yes, we inherit spiritual blessing, but we also inherit spiritual enemies. And what is God's purpose in allowing the Christians to suffer persecution? We've talked about this many times. It reveals the true value and worth and incomparable sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than anything this life can give. And Jesus is better than anything death can take. I know you've heard me say that many times. I stole it from John Piper. I'm unapologetic. Jesus is better than anything this life can give. Jesus is better than anything death can take. Piper quotes on true biblical faith. John Piper, listen to him, I'm almost done. Real faith is utterly in love with God. You've heard this quote from me before. Real faith loves God more than job, more than money, more than dream houses, more than retirement, more than family. Real uh, Real faith loves God more than life. Real faith says whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love Him. He's my reward. That's biblical faith. That's biblical Christianity. That's the mindset, mindset of the true Believer. Discipleship is salvation. Salvation is discipleship. Beloved, 
Sold out discipleship is your call. If you call yourself a Christian tonight, that's your call. That's your job description. Discipleship. And everything that entails. Also, every good thing is ours. Every good thing is ours. The kingdom is ours. The kingdom is ours. Oh, also with persecutions. Jesus says, you can't come with me without radically simple faith. Remember where we started? Mark chapter 10, 15. Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. Simple, pure, humble, absolute Trusting, dependent faith like a child, that is what is ultimately required to walk with Jesus. You can't bring your own preconditions to Christ. Just simple childlike faith. True faith incarnates itself in our lives and it communicates to those around us that I love Jesus more than anything this life can give. And I love Jesus more than anything death can take. And I'm just going to read from Matthew chapter 6, a couple of verses, and I'm through. Just hear the words of God. Hear the words of God, beloved. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life, as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor, your, nor, your, uh, nor for your body, as to what you shall put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? This is why many people will not abandon themselves to Christ. They have too many anxieties and too many fears. And in this text, Jesus is setting His people free from this. What are you anxious about? Your Father knows what you need. You can fearlessly walk with Jesus. It's all taken care of. You go with my Son, I'll take care of everything else. This is what Jesus says. That's what He says. I'll finish the text. I just had to preach a little bit more. I just had to preach a little bit more. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do, not, they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? God is setting us free, beloved. To be radical Christians, <laughs> which is really the only kind. Radical Christians. I love it. Verse 31, Jesus says, Do not be anxious, then saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? Verse 32, For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need this stuff. Verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God. There's the sermon. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Beloved, you cannot out-sacrifice or out-give Jesus Christ. 
And I exhort you to follow Him radically in your life, in your marriage, in your job, in your neighborhood, whatever it looks like. You follow Him radically. You obey what He says. Don't be afraid because it looks hard. Don't give in to your anxiety and fear. You go with Christ. He's God. How many of you believe? How many of you believe Jesus is God? Walk with Him. Let's pray together. Awesome God, we just love Your Word. Wow, how it challenges us. How it never doesn't challenge us. What an awesome truth. Thank You, Lord God, that You've given us license here. License to simply go with You. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We can just go with You. And Lord God, if there's any here who are leaning on their religion and their own self-righteousness, Father, I pray that they would be convicted by Your Spirit, that they would see their urgent need for Christ, they would see their urgent need for a Savior, and their urgent need to submit to His Lordship in their life. Father, thank You for this great exhortation. Thank You for this awesome thing You're doing. Not only are we rewarded in eternity forever, in this present age, a hundredfold reward. We praise You, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's close the way we used to close in the old days. We'll, we sang it earlier, uh, ancient words. You want to stand with me? We'll just sing uh, the chorus and, and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll adjourn. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts, oh let the ancient words Jesus, have a great week.